The chapel schedule show, throws us a curve today with a reading that's really a Concordia Journal homiletical text for an upcoming Sunday. And the Sunday happens to be Easter. So today's reading gushes with all sorts of good news while we're in Lent. But that's okay. Uh, for sometimes, we, as we have to go looking for gospel handles, I have it on good authority that sometimes it's okay, Rev says, to go looking for law handles as well. Turnabout is fair play. Though Israel hardly has to be reminded of any law handles sitting in exile as they were, plus in truth there is law aplenty to be found elsewhere in Isaiah's whole message. The real issue is whether they could believe what they were hearing with their own ears, given where they were. Today, Isaiah's message would raise eyebrows and draw sarcasm, perhaps. Our age wants things to be both predictable and risk-free, certain, comfortable, convenient. But our culture is built on so much hype that never really materializes that, so that one becomes jaded. It's there in the advertising, it's there in the media images that surround us all the time, and of course it's there in politics. It's almost not fair to click on politics like shooting fish in a barrel. This past weekend's healthcare climax Hysteria is only one more recent example of naive rhetoric coming from all sorts of sides and in the end trumping common sense. But we've gotten it from all parties over the years, to be fair. We've had no child left behind where, when we're finished, all the children will be above average. We've tried overseas nation building, as if we do all that well ourselves most of the time. We've had a war on drugs, a war on poverty several times. 1994, Congress declared that by 2000, our schools would be free from drugs and violence. And we've started all off a hundred years ago with a real war, a war to end all wars, as they called it, turned out really only to be the First World War, that actually ushered in what Harvard historian, in a book of his, Neil Ferguson, documents as being the most bloody and savage and brutal history uh, century in, the hu in human history. Well, you contrast the perennial political hype with a comment from another quarter, from one Reinhold Niebuhr, who said, democracy is a method of finding proximate solutions for insoluble problems. I would vote for him in a heartbeat. He's dead and I would still vote for him. And now comes Isaiah with talk of a new heaven and a new earth and all that goes with it. Pity the person, he says, who does not live to be a hundred or more. No need for health care there. It's no wonder people are dubious when they hear this message, given where they were. Comedian Woody Allen may have garbled our text delusion, but he seems more realistic when he uttered the line, the lion may lie down with the lamb, but the lamb isn't going to get a lot of sleep. We chuckle. Why? Because we know better. We know that that really is the truth, unless, of course, at the moment we're deluding ourselves for our own self-interest. Here's Israel, the doormat of the Middle East, one invader after another tramping through, and then Isaiah says, we're going to plant and plan for the long run. Sure, tell me another one, Isaiah. But God and God's prophet are dead serious. Roots of the doubt and skepticism run deep. 
Once upon a time, there was a people who thought that they would make a name for themselves with a tower reaching to God. You can read about what happened to them in Genesis 11. You think we'd learn, but people have been erecting towers and babbling self-congratulations ever since. Utopia, you know, literally means nowhere, but it hasn't stopped us. A few centuries ago, the proponents of the Enlightenment project marginalized God as the absent clockmaker, even as they claimed the ability to control and build around them to erect what historian Karl Becker called, in a book title of his, the heavenly city of the 18th century philosophers. And although those critics of Christianity denied the source of their inspiration, their goal of an enlightened world would not have been possible without the biblical vision of the new heaven and the new earth that they first inherited and then promptly rejected, even as they tried then to build an imitation here and now. Carl Becker was the son of a Lutheran pastor in Iowa. I wonder where he got his larger worldview. He understood that the self-confidence of these people really reflected a biblical heresy. Today, we are more sophisticated in how we package both the end and the effort to that end, but the glowing promises still trip down the garden path. They suffer from the same fatal flaw, both in terms of method and implementation, namely that here we are creatures trying to reconstruct creation. We're outclassed, doomed to fail. It takes a creator to do the job, a God who is above all and beyond all the mess. Creatures are out of their league. And so Israel found itself captive in Assyria with Babylon still to come, and our age is captive in its self-delusion to dystopias of our own making. Acknowledging the misguided plans and the incapable efforts is, of course, a step forward, but that's only the admission of failure. The solution, the alternative, is there in Isaiah's polar opposite. Never mind the failures. Never mind where you are, for God will set all things right. God will make all things, heaven and earth, new. God is not only capable, he cares. The description is beyond anything Israel could have imagined, let alone build. More, Israel had to remember that the promises stretch not just to some sort of simple return. Israel shouldn't be so foolish as to think resettling in the homeland was going to solve everything. Fulfillment is much more, assured by the Messiah's coming and by his success. It is difficult to imagine such a radical change given all Israel had been through. But the prophet does not leave things in the abstract. There are concrete images there to make the point that this will change for good and change forever. So houses are to be lived in for generations, not occupied by the next invader passing through. Vineyards and trees that take decades to develop should be planted. No worries. There will be time and then some. For here is security, the uncertainty, the danger, the risk, the terror of life are gone. Sitting in the memory of our sin amid Lent, this text is ours as well. And the picture is just as mind-boggling, impossible finally to comprehend. We try to imagine it, we try to describe what the end will be like, but in the end, the certainty rests not on our doing, but on something more concrete on our identity and on our being. 
Isaiah reminded Israel that God heard and responded before they ever asked. God spoke of them through the prophet as my people, reason enough to hold fast no matter what. And the same for us. God chose us, and he says that we are his people by virtue of his grace, declared and seen in action, starting at the font with no let up ever since. Stability, security, and certainty in the promise of salvation are linked to concrete things for us as well, to Christ's name put on us. They're linked to his cross, to his death and life again, to his body and blood that by promise are ours. We've survived, I think, I hope, the latest round of Washington's utopia building with the supposed perfect world that's about to dawn again until we go through it all over. In truth, the cacophony of hype and overblown promises from so many quarters are not likely to end soon as our senses and our common sense remain under assault. But today's text invites us to cut through the din and the fog and to look ahead to a truly radical change that God will finish in the eschaton, a change that he has in fact made in and with each of us already now. Yes, it's Lent, sackcloth, ashes, and all that, but we can't help it, for we know what's coming, and we can hardly wait. Amen.